0: What's going on, Mr. Chan? Uh, nothing much. Just getting some work done this morning. Uh, Actually, didn't get much work done. (laughs) I just like literally started like an hour ago doing a little bit of work, editing one of my older articles and seeing what I could update. Because, um, you know, as a coach, I'm constantly, continually educating myself. So um, there are some things that I've changed my mind on over the years. Um, But yeah, it was just one of those slower mornings and. Yeah, and I think that goes to show that, like, you know, even though as people we love our work, like, there are some days where, like, we don't really want to fucking do anything. Dude, I feel yeah. that.
1: I feel that. I've been I've been feeling that way for probably, like, two weeks, to be honest. And, like, oh, man, part of me feels guilty about it. Feels guilty for not posting uh, super regularly and not like being super active on social media and just not wanting to be on there at all. Like, and I feel guilty for it. Right. Cause it's like, I see all these other people crushing it. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. I should be on there. I should be, oh, I could be blown up right now. I could, my business could be fucking going crazy if I just posted more and I just need to get more consistent, blah, blah. I'm being hard on myself, you know? And, and, uh, and then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, dude, I probably need, I probably do need to just take a break. You know, like, I I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever like just schedule out planned breaks for yourself from like social media content, all of that. But I do feel like we, we get burnt out and burnout is a real thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, hundred percent agree and know the feeling of feeling guilty. And it's like, why the fuck am I feeling guilty about this kind of mm-hmm. stuff? It's like, and i I've been trying to really dig deep and find the kind of get to the bottom of that feeling and like I haven't really found it yet. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that in terms of like doing your own kind of like internal um you know deep dive to kind of find the the reason why behind that feeling but uh yeah i hundred percent understand what you're what you're like going through and I think we all do have periods of that and in terms of like scheduling out like sort of you know content deloads i I don't think i ever have done anything like that and i think yeah a lot of it is because of like that fear of like everything's gonna fall apart or like mm-hmm. you know i the, or just that feeling of like fomo like oh yeah you know you see everyone else crushing it and costly posting and like everyone seems like they're super like on it and they it, they don't need breaks so it's like therefore i don't really feel like i should be taking a break like I, I i should be doing the same things that they're doing
1: yeah i think it comes back to like being that little kid that was like you know getting picked last in dodgeball or like you know i wasn't picked last and that stuff but like it's it's basically a you know an analogy for like you know being the last one to like you know load up on the bus and you have to sit next to the smelly kid or like you know whatever it is (laughs) Like, (laughs) like you know you you just get the the short end of the stick because uh, you're not, you know, you're not on top of your stuff. Like you're not, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And, and so we have like these, Mm -hmm. these fears and insecurities. And, you know, I know as a kid, like I, I didn't struggle with fitting in, you know, like I, I had friends and stuff and I was like pretty, pretty easily made friends. I think it's because I had like, I had a brother and like, you know, older brother and like he had lots of friends and I didn't have issues fitting in, you know, but then once I got to high school, I started to develop, like, more insecurities and more overthinking and, like, had a harder time fitting in later in life. Like, as I got into high school, I actually felt more out of place, more uncomfortable. Obviously, I'm going through puberty, so that's a huge part of it, right? But but I felt more insecure, more uncomfortable, and, like, more out of my element, so to speak, when I got into high school and, like, you know, this how this relates to fitness really doesn't fucking matter, but I feel like it is an important Mm -hmm. topic to discuss because that was also that was around the time when I was using food more as like an escape. Like I would, I remember like my mom would pack me these like quote unquote healthy lunches and I would like trade them for like, you know, snacks that I couldn't normally get at home. My mom didn't keep stuff like cookies and cakes and shit like that in the house. So she was always on a diet, you know? So, I would, like, trade my stuff for, like, you know, the, the famous Amos cookies and, like, shit like that, you know. And so, like, I found food as an escape to help me fit in and, like, help me feel something outside of myself. And then, you know, obviously that turned into, like, you know, experimenting with smoking weed and drinking and stuff when I was young. So, you know, it it just goes to show you that we're always trying to get outside of ourselves to feel a part of or feel that sense of community or self-esteem or just a, a sense of belonging, right? We're like, we're still mm-hmm. tribal people. We still f- like need that sense of belonging and sense of community in our lives. So if we don't have that at home or we're lacking that in other areas of our lives, we'll try and find that somewhere else. And so rather than putting the work in and like finding and meeting new friends and playing sports and doing what like most kids did it was like i've i'm more like went the outcast route and it was like it was life was a lot harder because of that i don't know like what
2: mm-hmm.
0: what was uh what was like high school and middle school like for you it's funny that you bring that up because i've been i wouldn't say like i've been recently recently it's been like having a bit more frequently just kind of me wanting to reflect more on that and, like, yeah, growing up, I always wanted to, like, be the kid to like, fit in. I always tried to, you know, um, just kind of, like, mold myself to, like, other people's ex- expectations and always, like, try to fit in. But then the more I tried to do that, I just felt like I didn't fit in even more. And eventually, I just kind of, like, went the route of, like, isolation. I'm, and I'm just going to, like, you know, take on life kind of, like, by myself. And it's also kind of, like, um, why I've developed this sort of, like, kind of chip on my shoulder and, like, kind of like why I got into like fitness in the first place. And like, Mm. kind of like you with food, like with me, like lifting, which sort of like kind of became my like sort of vice in a sense. Like, Mm. you know, I found that just grind, go to the gym and all that. like, just like, because I didn't really have to kind of force myself to fit in anything. Cause you know, you go to the gym, you work out, you're kind of like in your own world. You're kind of in your sense of like reality. So it was just awesome. And like, you you just like stay super focused and you just put in the grind, put in the work and yeah it's just one of the things I like found I was able to kind of find escape in and then even I can kind of like just fast forward to today like it's kind of manifested like that's why I've like just kind of decided to venture into my own thing and build my own business and all that and like I yeah I've just learned to like kind of embrace the feeling like you know I'm gonna it's I I will travel this path alone if I have to or I guess this is just like like what I meant to do, in a sense, yeah, and then like even even now like i I still don't feel like I fit in like a lot of the people that I talk to, obviously like um you know we we get along we and and all that, but I don't really feel like I still really have like a sense of like community in a sense, and I still do feel like sort of an outcast, like just my mindset on life and um everything in general is just I don't feel like people just have kind of that same vision, so you know i've I've just learned to kind of like embrace it and just keep going at it until you know i eventually find my tribe of people
1: it's also tough to find like like like-minded people like ourselves as well like people who are dedicated to their own fitness and and have a passion for it and also like dig the science and kind of nerding out on that stuff too like it's it's Mm -hmm. it's like most people are like fitness is more like a pastime it's like it's like a it's kind of on the back burner it's like yeah I like to work Mm -hmm. out but it's not like it's not like something I really want to know the nuances of you know it's just like something I dig and it's like finding people like that in your day-to-day life might be hard but that's also why like social media and stuff has been a blessing for me because it has helped me like connect with like-minded people and, and kind of find That sense of community and tribe because before this I didn't have a like I would have had to move to like Los Angeles or New York or like Florida, Miami, or like one of these bigger cities that has a more fitness-centric community to like meet people and like get involved in the culture. But now it's like you can get involved in the culture and not have to live in these big cities just with social media and stuff. So it's been pretty cool. I've been able to meet a lot of great coaches, a lot of great people and like without social media that never would have happened right i wouldn't Mm -hmm. without social media i wouldn't have a business i wouldn't it'd be like Mm -hmm. honestly if it wasn't for social media i probably would either a still be working in a restaurant or i'd probably still be um i'd probably like have a food truck or something like that you know like Mm -hmm. and I, i still might do that shit one day but like but I think that, that that has allowed me to do that. Now it's like I'm I'm working on a recipe book and like I can also train and coach people through their nutrition and fitness and I can like create recipes and still cook and do my thing and, and use that as an income source and a way to help people give them ideas for recipes and stuff like that. So it's like that stuff would never reach the... You know, any more than like 20, 30 people if it wasn't for social media. Now I have the potential to reach hundreds of thousands of people, and it's a very realistic thing. Like, if I make a recipe video and it fucking goes, it pops off and it gets 500,000 views. It's like, dude, 500,000 people just saw my fucking recipe. That's insane, dude. I don't think we've wrapped our minds mm-hmm. around how crazy of a fucking time we live in right now.
2: hmm. It's crazy, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, it is seriously crazy, and like, like you said, like I obviously don't take like social media for granted, and like it is it is truly quite a time to be alive with like the way things are right now with like technology and everything and how we're literally able to reach like pretty much potentially reach every single person around the world, um, so that yeah, it, it's just incredible, like it's obviously opened a lot more like doors and opportunities for me. Um, especially like growing up as an introvert it's like you know it, it doesn't feel like I'm being super social when I'm talking to a camera and then you know I look at the views and like thousands of people are watching whereas like if I were to have to physically give a presentation to that many people I'd be like having anxiety through the roof and like I don't even know if I could like even stand up to do a presentation like that you know so Dude, yeah that's, that's super incredible you think about
1: doing like a TED talk or something and it's like it's like, dude that I would be so fucking nervous talking in front of that many people, and then like you see some of these videos on YouTube just getting millions of views, and you're like, bro, like that that's mm-hmm. every time I make a video, it has the potential of reaching millions of people, and we don't like we can't control that, we can't control whether mm-hmm. it it reaches like a hundred people or a hundred thousand people, like we can't really control that, and we don't really know like why a video reaches that many people versus reaches only a little bit of people and even a hundred people watching your video is crazy to think about you think about Mm -hmm. a room with a hundred people bro like i've only spoken in front of that many people a couple times and i was shitting myself shitting Mm -hmm. myself so careful about what i was saying i probably didn't even like probably wasn't even like my own thoughts and opinion. like I was so overthinking what I was saying that and so nervous that I probably wasn't even like being myself
2: mm-hmm.
1: now it's just like oh it's just you in a camera in your living room or you in a phone in your living room and
0: you're just like talking and it's yeah <laughs> yeah I can do it in the comfort of my own home and yeah it, yeah. yeah it's crazy to think about and and in fact like the the impact is the same too, which is what I find that's like super cool. Like, it's not like me doing a video or me doing a stand-up presentation. Obviously there are some differences, Um, but like, I think in terms of impact, like people can still kind of receive that same message you're trying to put out.
1: Yeah, and you know, people will either, and you know, something that I've been kind of dealing with is like people's, uh, people's judgments or criticism based on like a, because nowadays like you have to make, these short, compact pieces of content if you want more eyes to see it because our our attention spans and stuff are so short these days. Mm-hmm. I think the average attention span, I, I was like reading something the other day where like the average attention span is like six seconds. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what? I remember he, like people mm. said it used to be like three minutes and now- yeah. I feel like TikTok, Instagram, all like reels, all of that stuff is like making our attention spans even shorter. Mm-hmm. And it's like a catch-22 because, A, it's really easy and quick to make pieces of content that could help people. But it's also easier to make pieces of content that could be taken out of context and bring a lot of negative attention as well. So you kind of have to be – you have to have thick skin in order to make content and be in this game and be okay with it pot potentially going viral and lots of people taking what you say incorrectly
0: or taking it mm-hmm. out of context. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the, yeah, it, it kind of on that same note, it's like, yes, you can have the potential to impact way more lives like positively and also be able to help more people. But I think, yeah, with that same thing, it's like, more people overall you know there there's just there was just a set percentage of assholes in this world and you can't really like get rid of them so like eventually like some of those people will like find your content and just like whether that's out of the sake of insecurity out of the the sake of you know some some shit that they're going through in their lives they might like lash out at you they might like project their insecurities onto that just because they have the the platform and the means to do so now mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's what
1: TikTok thrives on. Like TikTok thrives mm-hmm. on like they don't care whether a video is negative or positive because it's an algorithm. It's literally a machine. Everything is automated. It's not like people are sitting behind a computer like, oh, this video is negative. We're going to push it out to a bunch of people. It's like, no, the algorithm is a, an automated system that says oh this video is getting a lot of watch time people are watching you know 95% of this video till the end so we're going to push it out to more people so mm-hmm. potentially this is why even negative videos get even more attention because we thrive on on negativity like as a as a as a society like we love drama we love negativity mm-hmm. we love being all up in other people's businesses so it's mm-hmm. like if a video that i make gets a bunch of negative comments i know that that's potentially going to go very viral for me which is why i feel like certain creators will say very controversial things because they know that it's going to blow their that video out of the water like if they're if they're saying mm-hmm. something like like, I don't know if you know that guy, Coach Jeremy, but he made a video that was like, This isn't peanut butter. This is poison butter. And he was like, oh He was like pointing to a, a jar of like skippy peanut butter, you know? <laughs> and he's like, These hydro- hydrogenated oils. Like, deep down, we have to know that this guy knows that this fucking peanut butter is not going to be poison to somebody, right? deep Mm -hmm. down i will give the guy credit like he knows how to find his target audience people who are like super brainwashed into thinking that certain foods will affect their health negatively or positively even in small doses right so Mm -hmm. he finds his like target niche audience and then he has so many hate comments it's crazy well he doesn't respond to any of his comments which if i were him i wouldn't either But if I were him, I wouldn't be making dumbass videos like that either. (laughs) So it's just crazy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, And this kind of connects to like, I think, I think it was our last episode that we talked about this, but like, yeah, it's really about like your morals and like what you want to build your business upon. Like, I guess some people are fine, like straight up lying about stuff just for the sake of getting attention, more watch time more likes views, all that kind of stuff. And all that, like, like unfortunately with social media that's kind of the bottom line uh because everything is ran by an algorithm like you said like more watch time it means more people spending time on the app which means more ad revenue and which in turn like um can lead to more like just revenue and profit and all that kind of stuff for the people using utilizing the platforms for that sake but it's like in terms of like longevity longevity in business or even just like your own kind of like moral ground in into like what you want to be putting out into this world it's like is that what you truly want and i mean we we can knock on people all we want but if if people are totally fine and they absolutely accept and know the the consequences of their actions then it's like you can do what you want you know freedom of choice right but i think for for us it's like we we don't want to do that shit we just don't feel we we'd feel disgusting like doing that kind of stuff, and also we want to be around here for the long term. We want to be we want our businesses around, and we want to be relevant, and we want to make a lasting, uh, impactful change in this world for the long term. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think that
1: I've always known all this stuff and always been like super careful about what I say on social media and stuff, dude. But there was a time when I had no idea what the fuck I was talking about, and I was like talking about you know, doing a detox, doing a plant-based keto reset, like doing all of this crazy shit. And then I look back and I can actually still find those videos somewhere on Facebook. Like I can, I actually have a Facebook group from like when I ran this like challenge thing. and, And I was watching some of those videos the other day. So I was just like, I cannot believe that this was me, like just in like 2016, like this was me and i look back and i'm like dude i can't believe i was like promoting that shit it's fucking crazy like i like i it's hard for me to even recognize the person that's talking on camera back then it's almost like i'm a completely different person because i have mm-hmm. changed so much i've grown so much i've learned so much and i'm continuing to grow and learn and change and you know maybe the videos i'm making now Years from now, I'm going to be like, I probably won't be like, oh, that, that content was garbage or those ideas were trash or like the science isn't solid. But I will mm-hmm. probably be like, damn, I was sucked on camera or damn, like I, mm-hmm. I I didn't like the way I was talking in that video or whatever, you know? So it's yeah, like, yeah. You just grow and get more confident and get better. You just get better. You just get better the more mm-hmm. reps you put in. So it's interesting mm-hmm. video video is very telling way to to kind of see how good at someone is at talking speaking publicly you know
2: Hmm. yeah yeah
1: yeah for sure yeah all right man well let's get into today's uh today's discussion so recently joe rogan um put out a podcast where he was talking with a man and i forget his name but It was this guy who basically lost like 80 pounds and so people clipped this video out. I clipped it out. Pretty much Joe Rogan was like talking about fat shaming and he was Mm -hmm. basically saying like fat shaming, yes, it's a good thing because he basically was the one who told his friend who was 80 pounds overweight to lose weight, that he's worried about him. He's worried about his health. So, I guess the my question for you, Austin, is like at what point, or I'll even phrase it this way, do you say you have a friend who's obese and their their health is declining, you're worried about them, they are gaining weight and gaining weight, and you see it. Do you say something, and if you do say something, how
0: do you approach it um? my I'd say my thoughts have kind of changed with this over the years like I'd say before I'd be like yeah I'd I'd probably say something or like make some sort of like comment about like it's like hey maybe maybe you should like think about like making a change like obviously I'm not being asshole and like fat shame because I don't think that's the right approach for anything Um, even like the research shows that like shaming literally does not it might work for like a small percentage of the population but for the majority of people it's like shaming literally does not work and and if it did work we would see literally like um like waves and waves of change in society because people are constantly getting shamed all the time on social media and stuff um mm-hmm. uh, but yeah all that stuff aside like like before i would take the more like direct approach and be like hey you should probably make a change and in, and in, in this kind of stuff but like over the years as i've like um just learned more about um coaching and actually like what and, and getting to the bottom of like what actually drives people to change And really the, the bottom line is that like, as much as we want to do as like an external person to this, uh, to this person's life, like we can't really get people to change. It's like, ultimately it's something that has to start within them. And, you know, I think as people like who are kind of in their like little circle, um, Of people who care about them or people who are a part of their lives like the best things we can do is to support this person and help them if they need but like in terms of like intervention like i wish i knew there was a way i mean i think if we knew a way we'd be making millions and millions of dollars but i think ultimately change like comes within that person
1: Mm -hmm. no i agree 100 Mm percent like Mm -hmm. me being somebody who like struggled with drug addiction is a perfect example um like struggled with drug addiction until the age of 22 so from like 15 to like 22 really from 13 to 22 um struggled with addiction and like no matter how many times like my parents or family members or whoever would try and like use this approach basically shaming me making me feel bad crying you know begging me please 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 you know do something about this we're so worried about you blah 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 no matter how much people did this um it didn't spark anything inside of me to change Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it actually wasn't until my external circumstances were the consequences became great enough for me to want to change the fear of remaining the same was greater than like the fear of change so Mm -hmm. i needed to basically get over my fears of change because changing to me was scarier than like staying the same but when staying the same meant like jails hospitals or death like when that was like my options if i stayed the same then like change became a little less scary it was still really scary But it it was less scary, right? So I did Mm -hmm. the thing that was less scary as we normally do. So I did the thing that was less scary. It was still fucking scary. It was still really, really scary. And I did it and it ended up being like my choice. It was my choice, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't my PO. It wasn't my mom. It wasn't it. You know, it wasn't my family's choice. It was my choice. So I agree with you one hundred percent, right? And I'm I actually made a video saying that like it it is up to us and it's our responsibility to say something to people around us, right? And now that I'm thinking more about this, like yeah, you know, I I I agree though. I think I think there is a way to approach somebody if if you really are worried about them. And they're at a point Mm -hmm. where you do feel like you want to say something. And I do think the right way to approach it is by using I statements, by using empathy, and by using some motivational interviewing strategies, right? And we know this through coaching clients. We know that if we Mm -hmm. want somebody to change or make some changes, we will ask them questions so that it becomes their own idea. Because Mm -hmm. if we're just like, hey – you know i need you to track your calories with a food scale because you've been using measuring cups and it's inaccurate right that's one way to approach it it's probably not going to work mm-hmm. another way to approach it is hey how accurate do you feel like you are with tracking your calories are you using a food scale are you using measuring cups do you feel like that's accurate enough and then they'll mm-hmm. they'll give you a response right they'll probably say like uh it's you know sometimes the cups are overflowing sometimes i don't really know how much i'm i'm putting in my fitness pal you know like do you think you could help me with this or you know what do you think i should do and if they ask you that if they ask you what do you think i should do or do you think i should use a food scale now they're genuinely asking you for guidance and direction and it's a lot easier for you to give them that guidance and direction once they ask for it even though we're coaches Even though they're literally paying us for us to tell them what to do, we still have to basically coax them into them asking us. Mm -hmm. Because that is what's actually going to create change, not us just telling people what to do. People know what to do, but knowing is not half the battle. Knowing is not half the battle. Like People know what to do, but they're not going to do it unless they actually do it, unless they actually think it's their own idea. It's like basic human psychology. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's so stupid. It actually makes no sense at all, right? If we could just like get our own ego out of the equation and allow other people to give us guidance who have more experience, our lives would be so much easier. But we have this thing called ego that doesn't allow us to people to tell us what to do
0: unless it's our own decision. It's like, no, Mm
1: -hmm. I'm making this decision
0: yeah yeah and the more i think about it it's it's like some weird fucking like just mindset that we have within ourselves like we just like tunnel vision everything until we feel like hey we're actually ready to receive this information because when i think back like into the earlier days of my lifting career like like i i probably have i probably did see a bunch of content at some point that like probably if i listened to it it would have led me down a better path and like saved me a lot of time injuries etc but like at the at that time like if i think back it like i just wasn't ready for that i was just so like kind of into i was just just so bought into what i was currently following that i'm like you know this is the way this is it's working for me right now but like uh, even though i knew there was something that like i could have done that was better and it's just yeah it's just weird it's like i wish i could find kind of the the bottom of it but it's hard it's yeah, that's one of the things I think as coaches it's like the hardest thing to accept because we want we we do this because we want to help people. And and like the I guess the hardest lesson as a coach is like knowing that even though you want to help everyone, not everyone wants to be helped. And so yeah. Yeah, and I and guess I- it's just about finding ways to um sort of like get people to want the help, right? Yeah, <laughs> in a sense.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. It it's it's the basic like the stages of like behavior change, and it's like the mm. you know the we learned about the five stages, like whatever it's like pre contemplation contemplation action, and then whatever it is maintenance um but but it's like you learn about all these stages of behavior change, and it's like okay like it takes it takes a lot of steps for somebody to be ready to receive. Information and then they need to think about it for a while and then they need to contemplate it and then they need to plan for it and then they put it into action and then putting it into action is not enough now they have to maintain that action in order to keep it going and if they relapse on that behavioral change then they they may go back all the way to the pre contemplation phase so this is mm-hmm. why people have a hard time sticking to their fitness goals because they make the actions too intense and so they can't sustain mm-hmm. it. So then they relapse and when they relapse, they don't just go back to like, okay, I'm instead of five days per week at the gym, even though I'm juggling like three kids and a full-time job, I'm going to go back down to three days per week. They don't do that. They go, I'm going to not go at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's a full relapse, right? And then they go from like tracking every single macro, tracking every single workout, being super dialed to like, I'm going to go back to not tracking anything, eating whatever the fuck I want, not going to the gym at all, instead of something is always better than nothing. So it's interesting the like psychology of this whole health and fitness thing because. It's so all or nothing. And it's I don't know where this original rhetoric is coming from, but I feel like people are afraid that what they're doing is not enough to create changes. So then they mm-hmm. need to go more aggressively. So it's this all yeah. or nothing thing.
0: Yeah. Or it's that or it's like that just that like weird thing where where I do understand, but it, it is kinda weird. It's a, like when you first start, obviously, you're like super highly motivated. You really want this change, and so you try to do everything kind of like humanly possible in order to get that change. But then you don't realize that like weeks and months down the road, it's it's going to get harder, and like you're going to lose that motivation, and you're not going to have that same drive, and you don't really want to do it. And so, like, it, yeah, it, it's hard. Like, how do you like reel someone? How do you like reel someone back from like doing that and like saying like, hey, how about instead of working out five times a week, like let's let's dial it back down to three? Mm-hmm. And then let's stick to this for one. See, see how you turn out. Cause that, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I tell clients. Although it's like, sometimes some of them listen to me, some of them don't. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's also demotivating once you get past those newbie gains. Like if we're just talking about lifting, for mm-hmm. example, it's, it's demotivating. Once you get past those newbie gains, you've been putting on like five to 10 pounds on a lift every single week. And then like, you go from that to like, you'd be lucky if you put 20 pounds of strength on a lift in a year. <laughs> so then it's like, <laughs> so then it's like you go from doing that in like a month span to like in a year. Maybe you've reached your genetic strength, like potential for that lift. And so like, and I'm talking about like mostly like barbell lifts or compound lifts, right? It's like your bench press maybe saw it out at 315 for like a year. And you might, you may be able to get like, squeeze out like you know two reps two extra reps at that 315 in like a year but it's like
2: Mm -hmm.
1: it's like dude your newbie gains were like every week you're adding reps you're adding weight to the bar so it's Mm -hmm. also discouraging like who the fuck wants to stick with something if you're really
0: making such minuscule progress
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and then yeah the the same thing goes for fat loss right Mm -hmm. like when you first start like you're gonna see the most amount of change in the, the first few weeks Um, not, and not even just dropping water weight. It's just like, when you go from like being super unhealthy to taking healthier habits, obviously that's like a huge kind of like shock to your body. So you're going to see a ton of progress and then obviously you do like metabolic adaptation and like all the other stuff. It's just, your progress just starts to slow down, even though you're doing everything else, everything is the exact same. It's just, yeah. Like the law of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm.
1: And then it's just hard to stick to because you're like, Mm -hmm. You're like, fuck, dude, I've reached my genetic potential or whatever it is. I was watching a an interview with uh, Greg O'Gallagher, Kino Body, and he was talking about how he added six reps to his max bench press in like 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. That's insane, right? Like that's super yeah. slow progress. But then he went over how like that is – this many pounds technically and how like once you reach your genetic potential for something like that like it's really hard to break those plateaus and so it's it's for him it's more about like maintaining his current physique his genetic potential he's not worried about hitting prs every time he goes to the gym you know mm-hmm. i think what me and you are doing with like you know the way that me and you train, mostly for hypertrophy, but we're also we're also thinking about gaining strength every time we go into the gym. It's not going to happen every single week, but mm-hmm. a lot of times th- those numbers are going up. At the end of a mesocycle, we're still hitting PRs, and maybe that's because we're still like in this middle time in our fitness um, fitness like. Lifespan or whatever but mm-hmm. i I genuinely like don't know what it's like to just
0: like be stalled out on a lift for years I don't know what that's yeah. like yeah yeah for sure and then yeah this is also something that I think a lot of people get blown out of proportion and like I used to think this too and like I even I don't really have these thoughts so much anymore but like I used to have these thoughts a lot it's like oh what, what is my genetic potential you know I like I've been lifting for six years I think I'm close to that because a lot of people are like uh you know when you're lifting like that long like six to ten years you start to get close to your genetic potential but like the fact that i'm still hitting prs now it's like it started to make me kind of rethink that because before like when you're when you're like almost there you think like oh am i almost there it's like are my gains just like gonna go to shit now but like the longer you do it and you just realize like how much farther is this kind of genetic ceiling and and in fact is this really is there really this like genetic ceiling because there there's so many factors that play into it. it's like obviously your training experience but like Like who there, there aren't that many people who can say like they have consistently lifted for say decades Mm. and like have not like made progress. Cause you know, more often than not, people will just fall off the wagon because of life, because of injuries, because of all these other things. So no one can really say like, I've been actually consistently following a program. I haven't missed a single workout. haven't taken like any vacations away from working out for like literally decades. So it's, it's, it's hard to say.
1: Yeah, and there's different seasons in people's lives when they're going to stop going to the gym. Like or mm-hmm. they're they're just not going to be able to, right? Like if you got a newborn baby and, you know, that becomes your main priority and you know you're working a lot and you know you're traveling and you know there's just so many different circumstances that may come up. And so you taking a break from the gym is kind of inevitable and I'm not talking about like a short deload week, but I'm talking about like taking like a month or two off. There's a very rare breed of people who during the during a course of like, you know, five to 10 years are never going to take that like month off from the gym. I know for me, I've taken like I've taken close to a year off from the gym and I've taken six months Mm -hmm. off and I'm taking three months off. Not because I purposely wanted to. It was just like chaotic, crazy time in my life. One of them was COVID, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot yeah, of people different- say that was a big
0: one.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, that was a that was really tough, dude. Because like I was trying to get my hands on fitness equipment because I couldn't go lift anywhere, and the only like things that I could find were these like five gallon water jugs and resistance bands. So I was like, mm-hmm. and I hated it. I hated it. I hated lifting doing that stuff and i was doing calisthenics with the rings and i was just like mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a style of training that i enjoy and
0: so most of the times i just skip my workout like most of the time yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah. and then it's like and it's one of those things like no no one no one fucking planned that like let's say like you have a kid or like you go on vacations like that stuff you can like at least kind of plan around but like no one knew like covid to like just a hit and then we'd be like literally months like over six months like not working out in like our normal um routine and rhythm and all that and so like yeah this stuff like you didn't you, you just don't plan for and it just happens and you lose your gains and like you do what you can but like like if you don't have like all the equipment that you um need it's like you you are going to lose progress as a
2: result of that
1: yeah and it's yeah. it's hard to dude doing home workouts is hard i don't care what anyone says like yeah there's certain people who are like i love it it's the best but i'm like i'm like no dude i i i don't know if i'll ever be on that train of like i enjoy working out from home like no Mm -hmm. i don't it's it's a like i could even have all the equipment that the gym has and it still would be different from me, like going and traveling to somewhere and going to the gym, like at a facility that's meant for mm-hmm. that. It's just something yeah. different about it. So I, I think that, you know, a lot of people who say they love working out from home, there's usually, there's usually some other reason behind it. And that what I've found with mm-hmm. a lot of people is they have like fears around the gym or they have like social anxiety at the gym and they have like, you know, issues mm-hmm. with going to the gym it's not so much that they love working out from home they just hate the idea of going to a gym
0: yeah yeah whether it's like fear of like getting judged or like yeah just just not wanting to to be around people mm-hmm. yeah or there's a lot of
1: creepy ass dudes at the gym too so a lot of my female yeah friends. that too yeah
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, heard, I've
1: heard
0: stories and,
2: yeah
1: yeah but, yeah man, another another thing that uh that kind of popped up, we'll touch on this. This is a question I have for you, and then we'll, we'll cap it off here. Um but so let's say you have a let's say you have a client who is struggling with getting their protein in, and you look at their food logs, and they're getting like 60 grams of protein per day. And they're eating like eighteen hundred calories. Like where, like where would you start with that? Like if you were, if they were to ask you, "Hey, I'm struggling with getting my protein in. I'm getting sixty grams right now, and maybe you you set them at like hundred and thirty. Like, where do you mm-hmm. start with education around protein? I I struggle with this educating around it. So I want to see how you educate your clients around how to get more protein
0: gotcha that this is actually a very well-timed question because i just published an article on how to it's like it's called like five easy ways to get more protein or something like that nice. and initially i thought about just doing the five tips but then because there's an article i wanted to like make it a little bit more longer more informative i went into like like literally I just nerded out about like protein in that entire article and like all the nice perfect timing (laughs) I didn't even know that Uh, yeah so go ahead and check that out on my website Austin Chan Fitness I'm gonna plug myself right now (laughs) but uh yeah but I in terms of the 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 five ways um if I can remember this off the top of my head um I think I uh, usually will give people like these five tips see and then they can kind of pick and choose which one of these like help them out the most but in terms of just like setting goals, um, first out and before I used to be the coach that just like just hit this protein and like <laughs> and like really give them no the, like method of uh, of like of how they can actually get there. Mm-hmm. But now I will typically set like I I ask them like for a typical food log. And then also get an idea of what their protein intake is currently at and say, yeah, like in this example, it would be 60 grams. So starting out, I'll, I'll, probably, I'll set them a more like achievable goal. Let's say usually I'll increase that by like 20 or 30 more grams from where they're currently at because that's very doable. It's like you know, like, like worst case scenario, let's say they, they just literally cannot eat any more protein. And it's just like 20, 30 grams, just add like a scoop of protein to that. To your day, have a protein shake and like you're gonna be set. You're gonna hit your goals super easily, mm-hmm. and then by doing that, you start to set these like smaller um, self-efficacy goals and like and build that like momentum. They're, like, oh, I can actually do this. And also, it's like that wasn't as hard as I thought it was. And um, um, and and also like this will kind of help them like increase their protein intake uh, throughout their meals. Even if they like can't like just instantly double like say the amount of chicken that they're eating, they can slowly increase their serving sizes. And all that, and just setting more manageable goals. And then, as for the the five tips, I believe one was just um the the first one was doubling what you're currently eating in terms of like your protein sources. So let's say you're having like you know a little small container of yogurt in the in the morning for breakfast, having like say six ounces of chicken for lunch, and then whatever source of protein you're having for dinner, just like double those servings. And like so, instead of having one yogurt, have two yogurts. Instead of having like six ounces of chicken double that serving and like by doing this um you can instantly double your protein intake pretty much if you if, if that's what you're looking to do and you don't really have to change your meals up all that much all you're doing is like i'm eating the same stuff but adding a little bit more so hmm. in terms of like least amount of friction and especially when we're setting goals we want we we want the least amount of friction that we can because um the, the harder a goal seems to be seems to be able to be achieved then people are less likely to to try and like you know shoot for that goal so to make this as frictionless as possible you know because a lot of people will like will have trouble like well what's a good like protein source or like yeah what, what do you recommend and then even though it's like i can tell you to hey just google literally protein sources and you're gonna have your list right there or i can give them a list but you know people tend to not want to you know, do the work like do do that work up front or it's like it's too much friction. It's just it seems like a lot of work up front because then you have to start like thinking about, oh well what am I gonna start preparing for my meals now? And it's just it's just it just seems like a lot more um mm-hmm. insurmountable in that sense. Yeah. So just starting that out it's it's very frictionless.
2: Yeah. And um, chances
0: I can't are I remember the other tips.
1: And the chances <laughs> are dude they're already like eating those foods that are mm-hmm. high in protein they're just eating them in small amounts like when i start looking at my clients food logs i'm like okay you had eggs for breakfast and like that was your protein source i always tell my clients like choose center each meal around a protein source so clients are like oh eggs those are high in protein well then as part of their breakfast they have like two eggs and two pieces of toast And I'm like, (laughs) shit, you know, like, okay, eggs are obviously they're high in protein, but they're also high in fat. So a way to make that meal more proteinaceous, you can just add some egg. Is that a word, proteinaceous? You can add more more egg whites in there, or you can have yogurt on the side, or you can have a protein shake on the side. Like just think about whatever your current – or you can just double up the amount of eggs you put in there. Like literally have four eggs. That will double the amount of protein in that meal. Right. Or instead of like the bread that has like two grams of protein per slice, there's some bread out there that have like five grams of protein per slice. So swap that out for the higher protein bread. There you go. You just got an extra 10 grams of protein in that meal. And it's Mm -hmm. like, there's so many ways to do it. You can take your total protein. You can divide it by the amount of meals and then you can think about, okay, I need 30 grams of protein per meal. And then 20 from a shake, you can do it that way. I mean, there's so many ways to do it, but like once you get into the groove of it, you don't really have to think about it. It doesn't become like hard to hit, you know, 180 grams of protein per day is like not that hard to hit. You just have to, mm-hmm. you just have to center every meal around protein. Like you said, just double up when, when needed.
0: Yeah actually put on my article right now um another tip that you you mentioned too is just like and i i just phrase it a different way is just making your meals more protein forward um so basically what that means it's like building your meals around that protein source first because i find that most people especially when they when they come from the background of not eating a lot of protein they don't really think about protein all that much they don't think it's like super important until one day they hear about like hey if you want to you know lose weight if you want to build muscle if you want to improve your health you should be having more protein and they're like well what like what I even start? Or like their current diet it's like yeah like you said we, we look at our clients food logs and it's like what do you have for breakfast like a muffin and some sort of like coffee with like a shit ton of like milk and sugar in it and then and then it's like no wonder you're you're hungry no wonder you're you're struggling to get your protein in because yeah. like that that's all you have for breakfast so instead it's like maybe have some eggs have some egg whites have some um throw some ham into, into like a scramble or something that's just like Start building your – throw some protein in your coffee. That's a good one. Um, yeah, just, just start like getting like your protein source settled first. That way like you know I'm checking off that protein box and then everything else is kind of filler.
1: I will say this too like along alongside with just like feeling more full. If you're just having a fucking protein shake and a coffee for breakfast, that is not setting yourself up for success. Like you're going to be hungry because – As far as satiety goes, like, whey protein has, like, the lowest satiety. Like, you are not going to get full from a whey protein shake or a scoop of whey protein. You're not going to get full from that. So, basically, you are – you're spiking, like, a little bit of blood sugar and, and you're creating, like, this, oh, I ate my breakfast. It's a fucking protein shake and a coffee, though. You didn't eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. You didn't. I would way rather have my clients mix like some oatmeal with a scoop of protein powder in it. Like if you're really lazy, grab a pack of instant oats or two packs of instant oats and like a scoop or two of whey protein and then mix that up because then you're getting some fiber you're getting some carbohydrates and you're getting some protein in there and maybe even throw some fruit and like a little a little bit of peanut butter and then you're getting some healthy fats in there and that's going to keep you even more full and satiated. I think a lot of people they're like, "Oh, I'm going to save my calories till nighttime or mm-hmm. till the end of the day." And then they and then they go crazy with like just never feeling full at the end of the night. It's because you didn't have breakfast, which doesn't make any sense. But I know there's science behind it. I'm just, I just can't quote any studies, but I know there's science behind like actually having, pro- having breakfast and having like larger meals at the beginning of the day and then tapering down towards the end of the night. It'll actually help mitigate some of those like late night cravings.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Protein. For sure. And then Protein I also is a think big it's...
1: part of that. Mm hmm.
2: Sorry.
0: Goodbye. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Um, I think, yeah, that, that's, um, uh, that's a really good point. And especially a lot of people, they'll say like, Oh, I'm not really hungry in the mornings. Yeah. Or like people who, um, uh, just, just tend to sleep in a lot, you know? So they just sleep in and like, they wake up like an hour before work. So they're like, Oh fuck, I don't have time to make breakfast. So then they mm-hmm. just like throw a protein shake or they just throw something quick together. And then it's like, no, yeah, no wonder why you're, you're hungry. And like one of the things that I found for myself, like if I have a nice hearty big protein filled breakfast, it sets me up for like the rest of the day and like as much as it, sh- it as shady as it feels to like s- like my first client session in the morning is like seven as shitty as it is to like wake myself up at like five five a.m giving myself those like two hours to like take my time and actually have the routine of like breakfast and like lit- getting a, like um sip of my coffee in the morning and like having some time to actually like wake up and like like eat eat and everything like as as shitty as that feels like i know because i do that it's like if i make that first part of my day like a little bit less like shitty like obviously i don't get to sleep in as much like if i do that i know the rest of my day is going to go so much better than if i like scrambled up like an hour before work and like tried to like throw some shit together
1: yeah i mean sometimes getting that extra hour of sleep is really nice Mm -hmm. and then sometimes if you already are getting like seven plus hours of sleep like you don't really need that extra like 45 minutes and it's actually going to make you more groggy if you get that extra like 45 minutes or you're hitting the snooze button so it's like might as well just wake up a little bit earlier take a shower wake yourself up have your coffee and then prepare yourself a nice meal and it really does like do something for your mindset too like if you can just like start your day out on the right path a lot of day, a lot of days, I don't typically eat breakfast until like nine or ten, and I wake up pretty early. But it's not because I'm not hungry. I just, I just like to crank out a little bit of work and stuff, and then like usually around you know nine or ten, I'm like fuck, I'm hungry, and I'll, I'll make myself something nice, you know. But. Yeah. I notice on days that I don't eat breakfast, those are the days that I am ravenous at at night and I overdo it on my calories. I overeat my calories when I don't eat breakfast. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. Everybody's unique. Everybody's a little bit different with this. There was a time when I would intermittent fast till like 2 or 3 p.m. and I had no problem sticking to my calories. But now, for whatever reason, now I... Like, I know that if I skip breakfast, I'm going to be ravenous at night. I'm not going to be able to to control my hunger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, it, yeah, it's, like, um, I think there's, like, research to show this. that um, If you do, like, I don't know if there's research, but a lot of people say it's, like, if you – the one thing that really does well for your discipline is, like, starting off in your morning, like, doing one hard thing that you know you don't want to do. And, like, that, like, sort of, like, helps you, like, get into mind of like, I can do the hard shit. Like I I've overcame this obstacle that I really don't want to do. So everything else for the rest of the day, it's like, then it's just like one more decision on top of the other. It's like typically getting started in that first decision is always the hardest.
1: Yeah. It's like doing that one thing that you really don't want to fucking do that day. Like knocking it out Mm -hmm. first thing in the morning. That's always nice. And if you, if you save that thing till like the end of the day, you're probably going to skip it. So if that's, Mm -hmm. if that looks like going to the gym, if that looks like, um, writing an article, if that looks like answering emails, if that looks like, you know, paying your taxes, whatever it is, it's like, (laughs) it's like, you know, don't save that till the end of the day, do it first thing in the morning and then knock it out, get it over with. And I know it's easier said than done. We all procrastinate shit that we don't want to do. I was the worst at procrastination when I was in college like i literally would wait to work on research papers and shit like that till like you know a day or two before they were due like every time and i oh, yeah, i still same. passed and got good grades you know but it's like fuck that is not a good habit it's not a good habit to have
2: mm-hmm. yeah for sure <laughs>
1: all right man well let's call it here thank you guys so much for listening and uh yeah we'll we'll see you guys next week when we have coach taters back in the building hopefully and uh he's over in the uk doing his yeah. thing and
0: yeah shout out to coach taters
1: coach taters all right we'll talk to you guys soon peace all right peace